What if you stop accepting and you start designing? And that's the focus that I do with people where it's like design is active. It's in the moment. It means that we don't have to just accept the way things have been. And now we start looking for a solution or an opportunity to change or a way to channel this energy in motion differently. And suddenly people have hope again when they realize I can design my life. I'm like, absolutely. Hey there, and welcome to Motivational Moments with Michelle. I'm your host, Michelle Newsetter, and I'm really glad that you've joined me here today. Today, I am joined by my good friend and colleague, Troy Reeves. We really wanted to just start by introducing you to some really powerful concepts that will impact your growth, your trajectory, your ability to start to create strategic action plans and get unstuck. You know, really start to dive into developing the life that you dream. Troy and I sat down and we started to think into some of the common things that we can fall into, like our what if statements, our what if mindsets, the power of our language on where we go and the results that we get in our lives. Understanding things like emotion versus logic and having an outlet, you know, what we can do with those emotions, right? That energy in motion. And hey, remember to subscribe. I'd love it if you would leave us a review. Let us know your thoughts, your questions, so that we can know how to serve you best. If this adds value to you, please share and tag us on social media too at Extreme Excellence with only one E in the middle. All right, let's jump right in. One of the biggest problems that I think a lot of people go through because they will have made like a decision and then they do like the, well, if only I had done this or what if I had only done, or what if I had done this kind of mindset. And it's like I said, like what I said to my mom, you can't even go there because that, if you actually think back to that time, that wasn't a thing for you. Right. Even the language, what if, to me, that's the language of fear. And when I hear people use a what if question, it's always fear-based. And I'm always trying to get them to replace the what if question with an even if statement where it's like, you know what, even if we Mm. had the option to get our vaccine, what would we have done? Well, we didn't take that option. Or even if we didn't get sick, how would we choose to live? Or even if that relationship didn't work out and the guy you were showing me, it's like, what if we could turn that what if to an even if and give people a language of faith instead of a language of fear and then start working through things instead of questioning all the what ifs and all the things that could have gone wrong and all the danger in their crisis instead of looking for that opportunity wherever it shows up. And it's like, okay, well, even if is so much more powerful because we give ourselves permission to fail and we are looking forward and yeah, I'm always listening for questions now. And that's the, it's, it's curious that you bring that up because that's just one of those patterns that I've seen so much of is just what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, and it's like, wow, there's, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) And then, yeah, I mean, to me, that's like the power of our language, right? Yeah. How we present things to ourselves. Yeah really has a major impact on our perception, our emotions, our actions and reactions, and just based on the languaging we choose to use. But even I had a conversation with somebody else 
like a week ago. And she had said that she had made a shift in her language where she, unless it was absolutely necessary, would take out the word but and replace it with and. Exactly. And the significant shift that made to her mindset, to how she approached things, how she well, felt. I've heard that the word but removes everything in your mind for what you said previously. So if I'm saying something praiseworthy to my kids and I'm like, I'm so happy, da, 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 but they've forgotten everything I just said. And the only thing they hear is whatever that but was. So if we can get rid of that and, and instead now both are equal, it's like, you know what? I really appreciate this. And I'd really like it if you could work on that because that still wasn't, no, there's a but again. So yeah, it's, it's tricky. We got to, you have to really think about it. Yeah, I'm still working on that. I'm aware of but, and I try not to use that if ever. And I may start with an and, but then somehow a but just wiggles its way in there. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, it's one of those things when we want to make that shift in our language, it takes real active, like intentional practice because it's not the way we normally do things. So yeah, so languaging, right, is so critical to, I would say so critical to our mental health, which then is so critical to our health. So like they go hand in hand, right? Absolutely. And when we can start to become hyper aware of the languaging that we're choosing, we can start to shift a lot of things that are happening inside. Yeah. We can either, you know, uplift or tear down, right? We can. Power of the tongue. (laughs) used to build or it can be used to destroy and yet so many people are so unaware they just think that they should be able to think or say whatever pops into their head yeah and i'm also curious how it seems very one-sided even that statement you're right i've seen a lot of people that are so vocal on i should be able to say whatever i feel or do or whatever and yet there's so much censorship and so much other stuff going on where it's like not all of us have free speech some (laughs) of us aren't allowed to talk (laughs) there's certain topics I will not talk about anymore because so many close-minded people that will not accept a contrary opinion to the popular narrative that's being circulated right now. So it's like, okay, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and I'm just going to add value where I can and let everybody, whatever. This is a very strange world that we've suddenly woken up in over the last year. So I'm interested to see where it goes. Oh, yeah. Now I've got my own thoughts on that and fears, but I'm not seeing good leadership and that just doesn't inspire confidence. So, because everything rises and falls on leadership. Didn't John say that? Mm -hmm. So it's like, we don't have good leadership right now. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of control. There's a lot of fake. And I'm like, wow, this is not a good thing, but we'll see. And now we're heading potentially into another election with a very fragmented leadership for Canada probably the lowest voter turnout we've ever seen. Because people are just, that people are fatigued. Yeah, decision fatigue. I know I've found myself there from time to time where I'm like, no, I don't even want to think right now. One of my clients used to be a limo driver for Steve Jobs when he was alive. And he confirmed something that I had often wondered because I remember learning about this thing called decision fatigue where we just get tired of making stupid decisions. And apparently Steve Jobs 
had multiple suits, but they were all the same. Like he didn't want any thought processing power wasted standing in front of a wardrobe trying to decide what should I wear today? It was always bang, 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 done. And then the limo, not that he couldn't drive, but he also learned that driving is probably one of the more stressful parts of people's day. And he's like, nope, not going to do it. I'm going to delegate that to somebody and I'll pay them to drive me. And then what was Steve Jobs doing in the back of the limo? Planning his day in ways that only he could do. Setting up his calendar meetings, replying to certain emails. And he got so much done on that ride. And he decided, I have to use my decision power for things that matter. And I'm not going to experience decision fatigue on all the stupid crap of life. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. I like that. I've actually heard that as one of the common traits among people we consider successful, that they remove decisions that they deem, yeah, a waste of their decision-making power because they have to make so many actually important decisions in a day that it's not worth their time and energy to waste it on those really useless decisions because I think it was the same thing. I think it was like one of the presidents, maybe it was Obama. I don't remember. All of his suits were blue or something like that. Right. You start to see a pattern there. It's like, I wonder how many other people have followed suit, pun intended. <laughs> I've actually heard it as one of the common things that okay. the people we consider successful out there, you know, your Bezos and your Jobs yeah. and your the presidents and anybody that we consider really, really successful has gotten rid of decisions that we don't really need yeah. to be making. Yeah. And it makes them more successful. It makes them able to make the big decisions better. Right. That'd be an interesting world if everybody took that cue and started to streamline certain things and not waste so much time on the stupid decisions of life. Like we could almost pose that question and ask people how many, without raising their hand, how many would say they waste time deciding what type of makeup am I going to wear today? What type of outfits am I going to wear? What type of meals am I going to prepare? We go shopping without a purpose and we just aimlessly wander, letting our minds decide what should I be buying? Like there's no intentionality, there's no focus, there's no purpose. And we are wasting a lot of that mental energy on check the little stuff in life and then i wonder how emotionally reactive people get when it comes time to make the big decisions because now it's like i'm overwhelmed i just can't handle that my anxiety everything else i'm just i'm feeling it and i know we get really stuck in some of those actually i've been doing a lot of research on cognitive distortions recently and one of the ones that i haven't really looked into a lot I mean, most of us know the big ones like black and white thinking and rationalizing and minimizing and justifying. But one of them that really intrigued me was emotional reasoning. And when I dug into that one, I realized the language of that distortion is feelings are facts. And then I'm like, oh, that's a good one <laughs> because feelings are not facts. It's just information. I can't count the number of times that I've had to say to people, feelings are just feelings. They do not depict reality. They're part of your interpretation of what's happening right now. Yeah. But they're not fact. No, I love that. And that's been, that's been an interesting conversation I've been having with some people. It sounds like you have the same one where it's like, if we can set people free from that trap, that their feelings are their reality, 
they're real. They need to be felt, but they're not rooted in truth. So, and then we can free people from a lot of those burdens. And if we could start teaching people more about decision-making and how people waste a lot of that energy on other stuff, who knows what people would be able to do if they weren't wasting all their processing power and trusting the attitude of their heart, so to speak, and just filter some of that through logic and figure out, wait a minute, I need to feel, but that's not my reality. And my so what turns into a now what turns into a how instead of questioning my why. And then we start to make change. Mm-hmm. But I mean, whenever our emotional reasoning center, it doesn't have logic and it doesn't have logic for a reason. Yeah. Right. It's that fight or flight response that's run off from our emotion center. Yeah. And I mean, when you're being, you know, chased by a rabid dog, you can't stop to logically rationalize what's happening right now. Right. So basically our end the way we were designed was we knew that we were going to need that piece because that's part of our like primary self that keeps us alive. So it's part of our like defense mechanism. Right. And so as soon as we get into those emotions, those big emotions, our brain just automatically shuts off our logic center because they can't run conjointly. You can't have your fight or flight response and logic running at the same time. It's one or the other. And because the fight or flight is part of our body's ability to keep itself alive, that's the one that gets right of way. Yeah. And so then, I mean, if anybody's ever been hungry or tired or something like that and felt the feelings and the decisions that they're making within those feelings. And then all of a sudden, like, so say it's like the hungry one, right? Like everybody talks about being hangry, right? Like how your emotions rise when you're hungry and everything is a trigger. But then as soon as you eat, it's almost like, I don't even know what I was so upset about. Exactly. Because now we've switched from that sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic. And that's where it, it focuses on rest and digest instead of fight and flight. So everything just slows down. And maybe the thinking component, reflection, all of that's part of that parasympathetic response. It's like, why is that rabid dog chasing me right now? It's like, that wouldn't happen in the moment. But afterwards, it's like, well, maybe I shouldn't be wearing a pork chop around my neck. Maybe that was the problem. I don't know. <laughs> That's probably a good idea to reflect on for next time. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Yeah. As soon as we kick into that calm, yeah. then our brain can actually process information. Now our brain can now reason again. Yeah. This logic kicks back in. I mean, we can technically quote unquote reason in emotion. It's just not good reasoning. Right doesn't typically lead to good decisions or good actions, which then feed into our results that we're getting in our life, which then become a feedback loop, right? Right. And that's a question that I actually want to throw at you is, do you see an opportunity there to blend the two? Because one of the things I've been working through with some clients of mine is trying to see the difference between your IQ the intelligence quotient and the EQ of our emotional quotient. So I look at both almost like a ditch on the road. Neither one of them is a good place to be. I typically see, I don't want to stereotype, but we typically think of like in marriage counseling, the woman being the emotional reasoner and the guy being the logical reasoner. And sometimes they're both in a different ditch 
where he's all logic. And I'm like, how about you turn your heart on? And then she's all emotion. And it's like, we don't think through some of that. And I almost wonder, and the way I've been hoping to counsel people is to take them through both in a way where we can filter some of that emotion through logic, where it's not purely a logical response, but we give room for those feelings. We understand them, we feel them. They're not our facts, like emotional reasoning would tell us. And then somewhere between that emotional mind and that intellectual mind, we find this thing that we might call the wise mind, where it's like, okay, how do we find wisdom between the two? So is that even possible in your world? Or are they both still ditches and we sort of flip-flop between emotion and logic? Or do you think there's a place for both? I absolutely think there's a need for both because I completely agree. Somebody who's all the way over on that like logic side and doesn't let themselves sink into the emotion side, they approach everything as matter of fact. They're looking for truth there. And so somebody who they're trying to have a conversation with who's got an emotion going on right now that just needs to be expressed, they have a hard time with that because they're going, but where's the fact? Right. And so then this person over here is going, you just don't get me. You don't understand what I'm going through. And then there's this huge disconnect. And yes, if we're too on that emotional side, right, just what we already talked about, if we're on that emotional side all the time, we're going to be making all of our decisions and actions and whatnot through that emotion center if nobody ever lifts us up from there, right? Right. And then we're going to make some poor decisions. But for most people, I find that most people just want to be heard, right? They just want to have like an outlet just to like, here's what I'm going through. I just need to say it just so I can get it outside of me. And I just want you to hear it. That's it. I don't need your advice. I don't need your opinions. I don't need your thoughts. I don't need any of that. I just need you to listen to me. Because I just need to get that emotion out. Paul Martinelli always called emotion, energy and motion, right? So it's that energy that's building up inside of us, right? Like, you know, if you've ever heard, like, have you ever heard of like, I don't know if guys do it or not, but I know girls do where they will just have like a big, ugly cry for no reason. It's just like, they just felt emotion welling up and they just needed to like, watch a sad movie or listen to sad music and just cry it out. And at the end of that felt way better, but part of like, so that's where I connect that like emotion with energy and motion, because it's almost like there's this like energy that's built up inside. Like when we've been like, you know, suppressing things or just going through a lot of stuff or we've got stress going on in our world and we've got all this energy inside of us. We just need a release. We need to move that energy. That's why with like anxiety, it's so important for somebody who's going through like a bout of anxiety or panic attack to get up and move because there's all this energy that needs to be get moving. That's good. I love able to break apart words. And I've been looking at emotion for a long time, trying to figure out motion is in there. And I'm like, what do I do with this? But that's brilliant. Energy in motion. Thank you, Paul. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I heard him say it numerous times and it really stuck with me. At first, I didn't necessarily completely understand it the way he was explaining it. But as I've kind of like sat with it and explored it, I'm like, it is. It really is because most of our emotions are some level of energy in our body. It creates some level of energy in our body, right? Excitement is energy. Like I said, anxiety, energy that need to just cry things out is pushing. Yes. 
this emotion out of our body, right? Like, so it's energy, anger, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Think of the energy that's behind those emotions, right? And so when we can see it that way, and that's why when we start to recognize that emotions are really just emotions and we can kind of like sit with them or just express them and there's nothing wrong with them. It's just, we just need to move that emotion through us. So move that energy through and out, right? Then we come back to this state of peace. Because so many times I hear people talk about how they feel like there's something wrong with them because they have this emotion. Right. And, you know, so we have to kind of go through a bit of a reasoning process around why emotions are okay, why emotions are good, why you're not ever going to be able to turn off your emotion center. Why they don't make sense certain days and why they don't need to make sense. (laughs) So we keep looking for understanding and asking the wrong questions. Well, why do I feel this way? It's like, you know what? That doesn't really matter. It's a feeling. You feel that way. It doesn't mean that's how you are or this is your reality. So it's like, all right, so what do you do with an emotion? What do you do with all this energy and motion? So... Yeah. And so for most people, they need to do something with that emotion, whether that's express it, write it out, cry it out, get up and move, whatever it is, right? There's something that we need to do with that emotion that's going to bring it down so that we go back into that parasympathetic nervous system where we can now have our logic center kick back in. And then things start rolling again, right? But there's nothing wrong with those emotions because those emotions are just how we're seeing our world right now. And that's not a bad thing. That's just how we're intricately designed, right? Yeah, that's cool. thinking of one of those laws of growth again I do I don't know why that's become such a core component in what I teach now is John Maxwell's laws of growth I use a smaller condensed version I only talk about six of the 15 and the one that I really spend a lot of time on and what you're talking about right now really is the law of consistency where it's this idea of motivation only gets us going but it's discipline that keeps us growing what are the six you like I use intentionality awareness, consistency, pain, the law of the rubber band (laughs) and expansion. Those are the six that I kind of link all together because I can't seem to find a way to separate those six from each other. 
because you can't be more consistent and aware without intention. You can't handle pain without awareness that like, if you handle bad things in good ways, you grow. That's the law of pain. And then there's rubber band, which is tension. You've got to stretch. That's right. We need to be stretched. And all of those processes require a level of intentionality because growth is never accidental. It's always intentional. And in order to grow ourselves, we have to know ourselves. And then this whole thing on consistency. I joke with people saying this is the most boring thing I will ever teach you. And it's the law of consistency. It's like routines, systems, Mm -hmm. motivation only gets us going. I don't want to just pump you up. That's great. It's a good first step. It's a good bang, get off the start. And that's what I think Tony Robbins would do well to do is if he could take all that motivation and then help them develop discipline somehow, what if he could take all that energy and then connect them somehow where they use that energy and they take it to the next square And then they start to develop disciplines in their life. They find their why again, because that's probably the first point in my work with people where I bring the why back. I totally agree with Simon Sinek, but I never talk about the why in crisis because people I don't think can handle why when their brains are looking for a reason to blame themselves. Well, why am I doing this? Why am I having such a hard time? Why am I doing this to my partner? Or why is my partner and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, that's the wrong why. So what we need to figure out is our what's and our how's. And then eventually when we're ready to grow, we bring the why back and see, is your motive big enough? Because a good motive will drive motivation, which will drive discipline, which will drive change. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes I'll do a little bit of like the psychoeducation in the beginning part, just so that people understand like how their brain and body works. and. <laughs> things like that. And then, but I always end that this is my spot for a butt because <laughs> teaching like we can sort of negate that first half, right? Sometimes there are a lot of people who need that. They just need this like little bit of understanding of like, how does my brain operate and like from trigger to emotion to reaction, right? So that they understand that concept and that how that's creating a feedback loop that's creating all of my evidence and that's getting me to do it again and again and again, right? And then from there though, I don't leave it at that, right? It's like, okay, so now that we know this, we have to intentionally put a pin, like intervention into that feedback loop. That's right. And make a change somewhere within that loop, somewhere either thinking, behavior, etc. Right. Like, where are we going to put that intervention in that's going to actually make you do something different so that you get a different result so that you can start to create? Yes a new circle, right? Exactly. I mean, that really sounds like uh, CBT on a cursory level as well. It is. So it's like, what part of this hamster wheel do we change? Are we going to get caught up in the trap of behaviors and modify behaviors to change thinking? Probably less effective. Parents know this. We can make our kids do things, but they don't necessarily change the way they think because we modify their behavior or implement consequence. <laughs> Does that mean we channel or change their emotion? Probably not. Those are feelings that need to be felt and we don't directly tell people how to feel. Well, Mm -hmm. don't feel sad. That's not really helpful. I already feel sad. Now what do I do? So the only domain left is the area of thinking. So Mm -hmm. how do we change the way that we think and rewrite some of those narratives, those I statements that we've cursed ourselves with? Well, I must be bad. That's our shame. Okay, so why do you feel shame? Where's this coming from? What if we could change that 
shame or that fear into something different where it's like, you know what, I'm learning not to shame myself anymore instead of I'm bad or something that's still within the realm of possibility. We change the way that we speak and the change the way that we think. And then that starts to create new emotions. We start to have peace in the middle of a storm. We start to have some contentment. We start to have possibility and dreams. And then that turns into new behaviors. And now we've got that new feedback loop that we're talking about. What I'm trying to get people to do is stop accepting which sounds kind of counterintuitive in the beginning. I'm looking at people going, I don't want you to accept your life as it is. I don't want you to accept the dysfunction in your marriage. I don't want you to resign yourself to this idea that this is as good as it gets. What if you stop accepting and you start designing? And that's the focus that I do with people where it's like design is active. It's in the moment. It means that we don't have to just accept the way things have been. And now we start looking for a solution or an opportunity to change or a way to channel this energy in motion differently. And suddenly people have hope again when they realize I can design my life. I'm like, absolutely. I will never ask people, who are you? Because I don't care as much about their past as I care about their present and their future. I would much rather ask them, who do you want to become? Because to me, that's thinking forward. That's about design well, this is something I want to work on. Awesome. I love those kind of conversations. This is something I'm lacking. It's a skill set or a mindset. Mm -hmm. Great. Now we can build a parameter around that and figure out how do we get you there? You know, you get all those like should statements. I know the shitting on ourselves. Yeah. So, but so people are like, I should be further ahead. I should be able to do this. I should whatever. And I'm like, who says? That's right. Who says you should be able to do those things? Like, you know, we have to sort of attack the lie that's hiding in there. That's right. And accept like who we are. As a beginning. Yeah. Because we need to accept who we are in terms of our limitations and our strengths and things like that. Right. Like we need to know, like for me, I a hundred percent know that I'm the early bird. So I don't know if you saw any of the like live to lead stuff from like 2018, but Daniel Pink talked about the science of timing. No, it was really about where we're the most productive and how we should schedule our day and things like that, just so that we can utilize who we are to the best of our ability. Right. And for me, I'm 100% an early bird, right? We all know that I get up really early. I have a solid morning routine. I get a lot of stuff done first thing in the morning. Like for me, I know that if I'm going to, let's say, go to the gym, I have to do that in the morning. Right. If I don't do that in the morning, it is not going to happen. Right. So I can't sit there and tell myself, I should be able to take on a big project at night. I should be able to. No, that's not how I function. That's right. It is not how I function. And as soon as I can accept that that is not how I function and I can shift how I'm doing things, I'm going to see increased success. I'm going to feel better about how at the end of the day, I'm going to go, man, that was a great day. Cause I got a lot done because I did it knowing who I am. Right. I think we are saying the same thing in a slightly different way because I'm not anti-acceptance either. Like I think. Yeah. I don't want to accept the crud that's in our life. We don't want to like, so for me right. to be like, I can't seem to get anything done in my life. And I guess that's just the way it is. Exactly. That fatalism needs to go. Yeah. The hopelessness. Right. So that acceptance is what we have to like wipe off. And acceptance is better than sitting in 
that mess like we're talking about so when i see that serenity prayer it's like god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change and the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference all of that is one word acceptance i am where i am step one i'm powerless over addiction all my inventories and the things that i've done to harm people fours and fives and then step nine making an amend all of these things that we accept and even what you're saying, we have certain constraints or timelines that we function better in. Absolutely accept that. And then but design it, right? Like that's what I said for myself. Like I know that I have to do these things in the morning. So what yeah. do I do? I design my world. Exactly. By scheduling it in such a way that I'm going to be productive and I'm going to get things done. Right. And I'm going to get through that day and I'm going to feel accomplished and I'm going to have that positivity that I'm looking for, that satisfaction in life, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm accepting who I am while not accepting that hopeless fatality because I did the whole Carl Jung thing. I didn't leave everything in my unconscious and just allow myself to just go through the motions. Right. I dug it out and go, okay, so what's happening here? Yeah. How do I need to be different because based on what's happening in my world and not just allowed it to be faked, right? Yeah, that's good. And instead made that shift and designed my own world to work with who I am. Love it. It's just that shift in that acceptance, right? Like not accepting this, but accepting this so that I can design this. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's what's really, really important in this. Thank you so much for joining us here in this conversation. I do hope that this has added some value to you, that you've been able to discover a few areas where you can start to expand the quality of your thinking. Remember, emotions aren't fact. Have an outlet. Let's just start designing the life that we want to be living. Thanks again for joining us today. I do hope that this has added value to you. Remember, you are amazing. Now leave a review so that I can know how to best serve you. I want to add value to you. And the best way I can do that is if you leave your questions. And remember, you can follow me on social media and you can find my videos on YouTube. All the links that you need are in the description. 